Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. All right, tonight we're going to talk. Last week I was on soul winning, and some people think home Bible studies is soul winning or vice versa, but they're totally, they're so far apart. Um, come on in. Come on in. Uh, we got some handouts up here. Y'all are going to be looking at the same thing I am. Y'all have my notes tonight, so that never happens. So this is a historic, this is a historic night. <clears throat> So tonight we're going to cover some do's and don'ts of home Bible studies. What to do, what not to do. Some, I, I, I probably should have learned all the what not to do's by now. I've been teaching them uh, for 30 years. And uh, there's nothing I enjoy. My wife will tell you that. I don't think there's anything I enjoy more than and teaching somebody the, 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 the truth. And uh, particularly in a home setting. And um, I learned from the best. And... Um, Followed him around for a few Bible studies. That was the guy that taught me search for truth. His name was Larry Clark. And uh, when uh, what he did was go to people's homes, well, that, that worked great for him because he's uh, always moving around. Well, I, I decided that I had more um, need of uh, being efficient, so I would do them in my own home. And I needed to be home because I had a kid to raise and two kids to raise and a wife. And so we, we ended up doing most all my Bible studies in our home. And that allowed me to, <clears throat> if I started a Bible study uh, the first week and then I was able to find somebody else, you know, the first two or three weeks, I could invite. It's kind of hard to invite people to other people's house. You, you know what I'm saying? So that gave me an extra advantage. So I always tried to end up with six or eight in, in my studies. And that way I wasn't teaching one-on-one. I was teaching more more people. So that was just the way I, I'm not saying that's the best way, I'm just saying that's how I did. Hey, Karen. So tonight our, our lesson is broken down into three uh, major topics, foundational home Bible study rules, um, what, uh, what we need to be talking about as far as doctrine and some doctrinal things, and then some random thoughts. And you can follow along with me and uh, we'll, we'll just go down them together. When you teach, um, the most important thing, nobody needs to spend 15 weeks or 16 or 18 weeks of their life studying something they don't believe is truth. So you've got to teach and establish in lesson one that the, the Word of God is true. And there's plenty of ways to do that. You know, God gave us prophecy in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the time of Christ. And He gave us prophecy in the Old and the New Testament that has been fulfilled in our day like the regathering of the nation of Israel in 1948 and, and many other things. So uh, there are lots of places that you can reach and grab in that initial lesson to make sure they're convinced that the Word of God is the Word of God and that the Bible is infallible and that it's true. If you don't get there, I'm not sure how successful you're going to be going forward because everything that you're telling them, this is what the Bible says, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, guess what? If they don't believe it's the infallible Word of God, you've lost your foundation. So very important first point is we have to make sure that we convince them, and I can help you with that if you get a Bible study and want some, some ways to convince people that the Word of God is true. I can help you with that. Um, there's a whole lot in the book of Revelation, the Mark of the Beast, um, um, the Euphrates Riverbed, the, uh, the whole, you know, that whole book of Revelation is, uh, is unfolding uh, before our very eyes. Number two, <clears throat> they must be convinced that you believe in the new birth and that you have fruit in your life. If they can't see that on you and they can't perceive that on you, uh, you you're, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle because to, to, you're... you're you're a marketing person for Christ. You're a salesperson for Jesus when you're teaching a Bible study. And if you don't buy your own product, that'd be like coming and try to sell me a Hoover vacuum cleaner and tell me that you, you have a, a, a Sears brand. I don't know if that is. Is that even a real thing? I don't know. 
but you're not using the product or you don't believe in the product. So they've got to see it with your passion. They've got to see it with your love. They've got to see it with your excitement. Uh, don't, don't bring somebody to a Bible study and bore them to death and not have any fruit to, um, for them to observe. Number three, be their friend. Last week was soul winning. This was a, a key point. Be their friend. They don't care uh, how much you know till they know how much you care. Uh, the uh, Brother T.W. Barnes used to say, you have to win them to you before you win them to Christ. They've got to fall in love with you and trust you. By the, by the third lesson, uh, you know, I was raised Methodist and I was in church every Sunday. And so I, when I was 31 years old and I decided I was going through a Bible study, I thought I was going to impress that guy. I really, I said, well, he's going to be impressed at my knowledge of the Bible. He opened his mouth and I realized I didn't know nothing. And by the third lesson, I totally trusted. He, he could have told me, you know, fat meat ain't greasy and I would have believed it, you know. Just whatever, you know, because he... He had that anointing on him, and he had that passion, and he became my friend and uh, and my mentor and my big brother. And uh, so, uh, it's not just about putting knowledge. Uh, inspiration is more important than information. Okay, inspiration is more important than information. You've got to uh, win them to you. I mean, you've got to develop a relationship with your student. Avoid judging and the appearance of judging. Uh, we talked a little bit about that under soul winning last week. Don't, uh, they're already uh, apprehensive most of the time. Most of your students are already going to be uh, uh, nervous. They're going to be uh, uh, out of their element. Uh, when, they, when they've come to, to my house by the third or fourth time, I think they're, they're just about as comfortable in my living room as I am, and that's my goal. Uh, Jill was teaching one not too long ago, and I went and got me something to eat during the middle of it. I don't really recommend that, but... I was starving, so um, so just it's it's a very um, uh, it's so easy when you're the teacher and you're teaching the student to if you're not very careful to come across as I know and you don't and I'm saved and you're lost and I know everything and you're you're you know and to be judgmental and so uh, th- that's a big guard you have to put up not to be judgmental to your student or to uh, judge them in any way. Um, and that's where they like to go a lot of times. Number five, <clears throat> establish clear ground rules on um, using what you're going to use, what references, what books, what philosophy, what your grandpa taught you, all that. I established all that in lesson one. We're not, that's not what we're here for. We're here to learn what's in this book. Okay? If you believe in uh, some philosopher or if you got some teaching from some denomination, that's not what we're here for. If you want to talk about, and it's okay if you say, well, I've always heard this, or I've always been taught this. That's okay because we can say that, well, this is what the Scripture says, but we're not going to base our conclusion on the, book, on the Word of God on what you've always been taught. We're going to make sure it's in there in the Scriptures. And so uh, we establish all those ground rules. We're not going to, we're not going to um, uh, say, well, Billy Graham taught this. No, we're, going to, we're here to learn the Bible. So keep them in that straight and narrow when you're, when you're teaching. Um, open and close with prayer. Very important. Um, some people will be uncomfortable, but after they've been to a, through a few, few lessons, they'll loosen up. Keep your lessons to 40 uh, to 50 minutes. Uh, I think I usually do pretty good at that. Sometimes I get a little carried away. You always want to, you always want to leave them wanting, not leave them wore out. So, you know, you just you make a really good point. Say, that's it now. We've got something great coming next week, but that's it. You don't want to leave them like, man, if he would have quit 20 minutes earlier, you know, I'd have been a lot better. You want to leave them on a high note and leave them uh, wanting more. Number eight, uh, the home setting is, is perfect for informal conversation. So what? Be informal. This is not, you know, I mean, as, as relaxed as you can be because I'm telling you, you're, uh, the, the deck is stacked against you. And these people, when, you, when you're teaching them, they're, uh, you know, you already look different than they do. Uh, you know, they don't know you. Uh, 
They're in an environment that they've probably never been in before. So you're doing everything as hard as you're trying to know the Word and teach the Word. You're trying to disarm all those, uh, all those thoughts that the enemy is hitting them with. Uh, so you want very informal. You want them to relax and to trust you. Number nine, cover uh, the significant and do not get bogged down in the weeds. And I said 15 weeks there in your notes. That's probably, that's probably fair. Uh, it's a 12 lesson. Uh, I teach from Search for Truth too, and it's a 12 lesson, but I can't cover it in 12 lessons. Um, um, and I try to I try to go like 45 or 50 minutes in uh, in 15 or 16 weeks. And people like to stretch it out sometimes, and that's okay too. If they sometimes if they want a rabbit trail in in the Old Testament or whatever, and, and go through a topical study for a couple weeks, that's okay. Okay, so that covers the, the foundational part. Now let's talk about um, teaching um, doctrine. Give the students enough information to fear God. To some people, we're living in a culture where that's kind of out of vogue. You know, you don't want to tell anybody that they've got a boss or a, a God to answer to. So every chance you get, I know Merle Cornwell, Merle Cornwell uh, he's a Louisiana boy too, by the way, um, he says, man, when I get to Noah, he says, I, I paint them pictures of them holding the babies up as the water's rising, you know, and how, you know how God's sending His judgment down. It's just, you know, there's lots of times that you can put the fear of God in them and get over it, okay? It's okay. They need, the Bible says the fear, of the, God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. So don't be afraid as you go through doctrinally to teach some pretty harsh things. If you if you pick that book up and read it, Ryan, you'll find out there's some pretty strong stuff going on in the in the Bible. So, and uh, you know, God's opened up the earth and swallowed up Korah and all his family. You know, that's a pretty strong one. Uh, King Saul, that people's mouth jaw drops when you tell them God sent an evil spirit on King Saul, or you tell them God created evil. People don't even know that kind of stuff. Um, God will send them a strong delusion, 2 Thessalonians. Uh, people don't like to hear that. They've never, they've been sitting under, if they go to church, they've been sitting under this prosperity stuff and they haven't heard stuff like this. Don't be afraid to tell it to them, but just tell it to them in love. And if they believe the first lesson that it's the infallible Word of God, they'll be okay. They'll be okay with fear in that God who can, who can create everything and can give us His Word. The Bible says He put His Word above His, his name, right? So, and His name is above every name. So He put His Word up there pretty high. Okay, number two under doctrine. Uh, explain that we're lost and that we're all sinners and that we're born in sin, shape, and iniquity. Uh, so much... Uh, I had a guy the other day... I. I I was wanting to walk in this metal building over here just to see. I thought we might try to buy it for our school. And uh, there was a contractor there, and he he was scared to death because he was just renting. And I said, can I walk in here? And boy, he got real nervous. And uh, anyway, we talked. The longer we talked, the more we talked, he found out who I was. And he said, uh, well, I said, we ought to come you ought to come worship with us sometime. He said, oh, I, I don't like people. He said, I know I'm going to heaven, but he said, I don't like people. And uh, and he said, and I know I'm I know I'm right with God. I know I'm saved. But I said, well, gosh, he kind of paints you in a corner when a guy tells you that you don't you, you, you can't say no, you're not. <laughs> the conversational, you know, you know. I mean, you you could say. So what did I say? I said, you better check the book. You better, that's pretty important. That's that's pretty important issue. You know, just you better make sure that was all. I, you know, that's all I could say, and that's all I did say. And uh, but he was—he—he he didn't like people, and he—and he—and uh, and he was sure he was saved. Oh, and he didn't—he didn't think that you needed to attend a church in order to to make it. So he's not going to like heaven too much. There's a lot of people up there. So you, you know, on the next one, number three, you, you have to get them lost before you can get them saved. Because a lot of people walking around, you know, when I was in the Methodist church, and this nobody taught me this, I just assumed this from gathering all the pieces, that I didn't murder anybody, and I, and I hadn't raped any women, and I didn't do drugs, and I didn't beat my wife, so I probably was better than 50% of the people on the planet, so I was probably saved. 
And you'd be surprised how many, they may not say it in that many words, but how many kind of think along that lines. I'm in the upper, see, we're democratic. Right, Kevin? So I'm in the upper 50%. So majority rules, right? You got to get them lost and not do it and do it without judging them. Okay, there's your task. There's your challenge. Make sure they understand that they need God, that no one is capable of saving themselves, that we have a Savior. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Number four. You can point to Jesus in just about every book, or or you can, I think, in every book in the Old Testament. So make sure as you're teaching that you don't get so caught up in the history that you don't point out the types and the shadows, the pictures in the Old Testament. You can point out Jesus in Abraham offering Isaac on on Mount Moriah, uh, his only son. God even said that to him, take thy son, thine only son, and... uh, and God shall uh, present Himself a sacrifice. Joseph, there's uh, I've read as many as 75 parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Christ. Uh, you, you can point those things out because you, you always got to remember Jesus is who you're, you're, you're leading them to. You're taking them to Christ. Moses, he was a deliverer. He was uh, an Old Testament picture of Jesus. Uh, David, uh, Daniel, there's many as you go through the Old Testament that every opportunity you get, you want to point them to the New Testament. History is good and it's foundational, and they need that. But uh, they don't live under distance, uh, under under law. They live under grace. So we, we point them to what pertains to them. Point them to Jesus. Number five: cover the gospel and our response to the gospel every week. When you talk about Cain and Abel, you can talk about the blood. You can talk about obedience. When you talk about Abraham offering up Isaac, you can talk about the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, when you talk about circumcision, the New Testament, Colossians 2 says that circumcision now, it's an everlasting covenant, but the, 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 the form of that covenant changed at Calvary. And now uh, circumcision is uh, uh, Colossians 2, 12, buried with... Christ in baptism. So the, there is an everlasting covenant, but now it's changed from uh, outward to inward, and, and that's uh, pointing them to the gospel. Uh, the Red Sea, the Passover, the blood on the doorpost, the tabernacle, uh, showing how man came to God, how God came to man. That veil represents his flesh, and you can point to the gospel uh, throughout the Old Testament. Rahab, hang out the scarlet cord. Uh, the mercy of God that he would reach for a prostitute, you know, in a heathen land in, in Jericho. Naaman, who was not a Jew. Leprosy, which represents sin. Water, which represents baptism. Dunk seven times, which represents completion. You know, throughout the Old Testament, you always can point them to your plan of salvation in the New Testament. Don't get so bogged down in teaching the details that you don't teach the foreshadows and the types. I'm big on foreshadows and types. I do know you have to be careful uh, if you can you can get caught up in that and get too far into that. But um, number six, <clears throat> when you get to the plan of salvation, read it with them. Make them look at it and read it with you, or let them read it. Uh, these scriptures: John three, John seven, Matthew twenty eight, Mark sixteen, Luke twenty four, and those in those scriptures in Acts. All those where we have uh, baptism happening in the, in the Holy Ghost. Make them watch it. Make, don't just read it to them. And don't just tell them what the story says. Those are so critical when you get to the, the actual plan of salvation. They need to see it in black and white. They need to hear it in their ear while they're looking at it on the page or speaking it, reading it. They don't, don't, don't do it any other way. I can't find another way that even if it's on the chart... Look at it in black and white in the Bible and have them read it or listen to you read it while they look at it. I just, I just can't emphasize that enough. The uh, random thoughts. <clears throat> now I get to the fun part. Do not be intimidated by their education level. I have taught people with very high education way higher IQs than me, way smarter than me, way more advanced in life than me, uh, uh, many more letters behind their name than me. Um, don't, don't equate education to spiritual knowledge or to understanding of God's Word. There, 
they're eons apart. Same way with seminary guys. and uh, <laughs> You'll have a different challenge with the religious educated than you will with the doctors and the lawyers. and the, those. That's a totally different ballgame. But neither, if you, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost and you're uh, called to teach and God puts you a student across from you, uh, do not be intimidated because they went to ISU and have their master's or their, their doctorate degree in psychology or, or whatever. It don't matter. It, don't, it really doesn't matter. You're talking about a subject that they don't know. I, I can promise you, uh, I can't promise you because I'm not supposed to promise you. Um, how many Bible studies do you think I've taught, Jill? How many do you think knew anything? Could you, would you say knew anything of significance? And I'm talking about businessmen. I'm talking about, uh, I'm, I'm, I taught in the jails. When those, you got to take those out of the equation. But uh, uh, I'd say less than 5% of, of my Bible studies, I would say knew much at all about the Bible. And they come in there and they think they're like I was. They come in there thinking they do know a lot about it and they want to impress you and teach you and show you that they know something. And they don't. Uh, we're on tape, so I was going to say something. I guess I better not. <laughs> the, the Bible says the Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you into all truth. And if you're teaching somebody who don't have the Holy Ghost, come on. So I'm, I'm, I'm battling against intimidation. You've got the goods. <laughs> You've got what it takes. They don't. That's why you're sitting in the study. <laughs> You've got freely you have received, freely give. That's what, that's what the study is about. You, you have gotten something from God, and you're not supposed to be a, 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 a sea. You're supposed to be a river. You're supposed to flow in and flow out. God never intended for us to be the Dead Sea. You, you, you know... Everything uh, is dead in the Dead Sea, and they still got so much salt. They tell me you can read your newspaper floating on your back. Now, Kevin can probably tell. I've never been over there. I try to stay closer to home than that. So. I taught a lady that was a school teacher. She'd bring about four Bibles, and she'd look at me over her glasses. And it uh, didn't bother me a bit. You know, very educated. Judges. Um, we had judges, uh, district judges, city judges, uh, had judges, had two judges went and got baptized secretly without telling their family. Um, doctors. Uh, so do not, I don't want to, I'm hammering that too hard. Don't, don't let their, their smarts or their IQ or their education um, bother you. Number two, always try to maintain a good flow in your studies. Distractions are real. And they really hinder. Dogs barking and you know kids screaming and you got to go change diapers and TV blare, whatever it is. Your husband, up <coughs> husband going to eat, eating. get something to eat. <laughs> <clears throat> try not to hinder. Uh, try not to be a distraction. I did eat quietly. <clears throat> Help them realize that they have been taught things that are. Uh, as biblical that are not biblical. Did you know that? How many wise men are there? The Bible doesn't say there's three. There's three gifts, but how many times have you ever seen more or less than three in the little uh, Christmas plays that you see the kids do? Have you ever seen more than three wise men? Have you ever seen less? You know why? Because people take it as Bible. So you can use that to your advantage. If they, if they think they know so much, you can ask them that. Just one day after you're through with the study and you're drinking a cup of coffee, say, oh, let me see how much you know about the Bible. How many wise men were there at Christmas time when Jesus was born? See what they tell you. And you can use that in, in a fun way. Um, uh, how was ba the baby when, when the wise men showed up? Well... All the little Christmas plays that got him coming and bowing down and giving him the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, right? The scripture says the young child was in a house when the when the magi got there. Okay, so just a FYI. How about this scripture you've heard most of your life? Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in your Bible. 
God helps those that help themselves. You like that? What verse is that, Chase? I told these to Kathy, that school teacher that looked at me like that, that had those four Bibles, and she was blown away. She said, cleanliness is not next to godliness. <laughs> I said, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, it might be. But it, but it doesn't say that in the, in the Bible. <clears throat> is there an apple in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3? Does the Bible say that Adam and Eve ate of an apple? Nope. What was it? The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all we know. Don't add to, don't take away. Is that a heaven or hell issue? I don't think so. It's just a, a good way to let people realize that they may be believing other things, more important things than an apple that's going to get them in a world of hurt in eternity. God works in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. Isn't that a beautiful Scripture? It's just one problem. It's not in the Bible. <clears throat> Study, pray, number four, study, pray, and take a lot of love into each session. Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. Number five, advertise the highlights of next week's lesson. Just a little trick of the trade, you know, you want them, you want them uh, anticipating, you want them uh, not to get bored with having to get out and come and, and, and make that sacrifice, because it is a sacrifice. Are people busy today? So you, you, you put that, you know, the news, news do, do it all the time. They do their tease, they call it a tease, you know, uh, um, to try to get people during the commercial not to turn their TV off and go to bed. Well, this is your end of your Bible study. You're putting out your little tease for what you're going to cover next week. Man, I always tell them it's going to be better next week. I'm not sure it really is. I may, get, I may be needing to repent for lying to them, but I think it's going to be better next week. Sometimes it's so bad this week, it's got to get better, huh? Six, pray for wisdom to know what to answer and what not to answer. Well, wait a minute. I thought I was going to be the teacher. you got to answer everything. No. No. You can postpone. You can say, we'll discuss that when we get to it later in the study. Or you can say, let, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Let me find out. And next week, we'll, I'll have you an answer. So don't get caught up in the trap of having to keep an image that you know everything about everything. Okay, it's a bad, it's a bad place to get to. So, uh, I don't know is a good answer. Good. You know, you, you don't want to give them ten of those a week, but uh, you, you know, uh, you know, at some point it's too many. <laughs> but I don't know is a is a good answer. Um, never argue. Number seven. Never argue. Point to and read the scripture. I've never gotten in an argument in a Bible study. One time, a guy turned so red, he was almost, I don't see the color red he was, but I guess Jonathan is close as it was. He, he was a Baptist boy when we got to the book of Acts and we read about three or four of those accounts in there. I won't say he saw it or God gave him the revelation, but something happened on, on the inside and he, he started sweating and he got his as red as a beet, and it looked like he wanted to fight me. <laughs> and uh, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so, you know, uh, I just threw water on the fire, and, and uh, we moved on, you know, and that's what you have to do. You, you can't argue. It's, there's, there's really nothing to argue about. If you ever reach a place where they don't agree with you, and you're reading it straight out of the Bible, and you showed them two or three witnesses, which, by the way, you need to do, you need to have more than just one Scripture that proves whatever your point is. If you ever reach that, just say, well, well, we'll just move on. We'll just have to agree, disagree, or maybe we'll come back to it later and we'll just ask God to show us more revelation on it. If you reach an impasse, don't let that... You can win the battle and lose the war. You know, you can win the argument and lose the Bible study, you know. Uh, <clears throat> number eight, all Scripture must be taught and received in context. Uh, don't take things out of context. You can make the Scripture say anything you want to if you just go pick out a half a verse and start reading it and making it fit your situation. So be very cautious there. Number nine, envision them believing, obeying, and being converted. Without uh, vision, my people perish. So uh, I, I believe that. I believe you need to pray it into being and you need to see it happening. Uh, I don't teach planning on the student not obeying. 
Did I say that right? I don't ever go into a Bible study thinking they're not going to obey. They're not going to see it. God's not going to reveal it to them. N- never, never once. See, that's not how you do it. You do it with the uh, understanding in your mind by faith and by trust. Do it with the vision that they're going to come. You know? That they're going to see, that they're going to obey, that, it, that God's going to reveal it to him. You, you can't reveal anything. You know what the Lord told Peter when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, he said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. So you can't reveal anything to him anyway. But God can. Jesus said, But my Father which is in heaven, he's the one that's going to reveal it to him. But you're, you're going to get the, have the honor of being there when it happens. But uh, you're just reading Scripture and quoting Scripture. You're not, you're not the revealer of truth. Number 10, be aware of the poster stage. I, uh, um, I usually, sometimes I tell my students that when I say, you're about to get to the poster stage, and they look at me with this deer in the headlight, look. And I said, the poster stage, I, I don't, that must be a milder term because I've never heard anybody else use it. So, but... What it is, is when you get to the New Testament and they start seeing uh, that they have not been taught truth or that there's a, a truth that's there and God starts revealing it to them, they, they kind of turn into the Gallup poll people and they start going to their Uncle Johnny and their Aunt Susie and their pastor and... Everybody that they poll are people that believe like they believe. <laughs> so it's a rough period in the Bible study because now they're going to go to four or five people that believe like they believe. Say, speaking in tongues, uh, what do you believe about that? Putting you under the water. They don't do that at our church. Yeah. Uh, everybody's lost. You know, we've got to be baptized. Jesus said, he that believes in is baptized. See, and they're going to go to, to the poster stage. And I was teaching this Bible study to, one time I had a guy, and he was, I had a Ken and Barbie I taught a Bible study to. And, and uh, he was very popular in, in the city of Alexandria and uh, big business owner, rich man. He was my age, but he was rich young. And um, he was smoking dope, and I knew he was running around his wife. I knew some things that were going on. I was a CPA, and, uh, and uh, I witnessed to him a few times. But I was very standoffish to this guy because I read his personality, and uh, he wanted me to pursue him and, and, and try to be his friend, and I wouldn't do it. And so um, one day we got to talking, and he started almost crying, and, and he said, would you teach me a Bible study? And I said, no, I wouldn't. I said, you're nowhere near ready to take a Bible study. And um, so I said, I will one day when you're ready. And uh, so a year goes by, and I, I, taught him, uh, I told him, I said, you're ready for a Bible study, so we'll do it. And so we did. And his dad was my largest client. And they were very, they were very um, uh, tied into a, a church in town. And uh, so when we taught him the study, we got to the plan of salvation. Uh, at, well, we were actually, I was reading, I was reading a verse. <laughs> I can still picture where I was sitting in his home because we were going back and forth trading out every week. And um, I read him the verse. Many will say unto me in that day, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name done many wonderful works? And, and then will I profess in them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And... Uh, Matthew 7, 21 or 22, somewhere in there. And he, he, he looked at me and he said, I don't believe that. Now, I, I just realized I failed on lesson one. <laughs> I've been with him for 10 weeks now. And he looks at me and says, I don't believe something you just read to me in the Bible. And I said, well, I'm sorry. It, it is, it, there it is. I can't, I can't change it. I like, you know, there's things I'd like to change in the Bible, but God didn't give me permission to do it. And so he left that night and I, I felt pretty good about how ended and everything, and, and uh, uh, his dad came to my office. No appointment, comes in, sits down, older guy, wealthy guy, my biggest client. He said, I understand you're teaching my kids Bible study. And it was his son and his daughter-in-law. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, he said, they up on the phone all night last night talking 
all talking to him because he had a, he had another son that was an Episcopalian priest and and he had uh, you know his wife and everybody they were on the phone all night long talking about the Bible and this new doctrine that I had made up and that really people were going to really be lost and go to hell and they didn't believe in hell and uh, so he said what I need you to do is I he said you're you're you just need to in this Bible study right now. And I looked at him and I said, I don't, uh, respectfully, I don't open the doors and I don't close the doors. And he said, this door just got closed right there. And he walked out. And I called my pastor. <laughs> and I explained the situation. He said, well, you better back off. Well, I almost obeyed him. <clears throat> I called the guy the next week. I said, let's meet at our house this week. And I uh, had him come over and we went through, because I was right to the two-day study. I was right to the book of Acts. And I, wouldn't, I, I was not leaving that Bible study without at least finishing telling him how to get saved. And uh, we, we taught the Word that night and, uh, and uh, he turned white as a sheep. And uh, his wife says, I, I'm ready to go get baptized right now. And he said, you go ahead without me. I don't want to hold you back, honey. But uh, he said, I can't. He was so intertwined in his dad's businesses. There were multiple thousand million dollar businesses. And he was so intertwined in it that he couldn't, he couldn't see how he could make it work. And um, she said, well, I, I, uh, I'm not doing it without you. So we were at an impasse. And um, so... Uh, the study ended. They didn't come. And uh, that was the poster stage that got me on this was when they spent the night talking to each other on the phone, by the way. So in case you wonder how in the world I get on this long story. So um, about a year goes by and he calls me. He comes by the office and he says, come riding with me. I need you to pray for me. And uh, we rode and I said, I think God take care of you if you come on and get baptized. And uh, I'm not calling his name because this tape's going to go out and uh, he said, you really think so? I said, yeah. And he said, I'm coming. And he and his wife came down. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon, got baptized. And I told my wife, I said, get a tape recorder. Because I've never, I've never had fear in my life. I said, if he kills me, I at least want you to be able to sue him and put him in jail. <laughs> and did I record it? I recorded it when he called. I, he called me. I knew he was going to call me. That night, that evening. Yeah, he, I answered the phone. Yes, sir. He said... Uh, he said, uh, I thought I told you to leave my kids alone. He said, is it true what I just heard that, that you baptized my kids? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'll have it in for you to the day I die. And I said, I'm so sorry you feel that way, Mr. So-and-so. And uh, he said a few other choice words that they won't let me say in a Pentecostal church. And <laughs> then the conversation was over. And I didn't know if I was going to live another day or if that night our home was going to be bombed. But... Uh, Um, this boy died in a car wreck about two years after he was baptized. He and his wife came to church with us a time or two, and then it got so bad at his house. Um, she got to, she actually came and got the Holy Ghost. And uh, I don't know that he did or did not, but he died in a car wreck two years later. Okay, number 11. Expect various uh, reactions at the point of the new birth. Uh, we had the honor of teaching my uh, daughter-in-law, and she uh, was very devout Catholic. And at that point uh, where God revealed to her, she got very angry because they'll experience a lot of that because why has nobody ever told me this once they see it? And then she began to weep and cry. This one guy I've already told you about whose face got her. When they get to that point, you'll see an emotion most of the time that will rise up in people and just expect... Uh, some reactions when you get to the point of reveal where God reveals a new birth to them. Uh, number twelve: Do not be a know-it-all. Uh, number thirteen: <clears throat> Do not get into the Greek and the Hebrew. These people, <laughs> unless you're teaching some different caliber people than what I've ever taught for my 30, last thirty years, you don't need to talk about Greek. And you don't need to research the lexicon or the strong concordance. You just need to take the English King James translation and teach it. You don't need to go to Greek and, and Hebrew. If I had to go to Greek or Hebrew, I'd probably make a more loss. 
Number 14, be consistent. <clears throat> Don't be high, low, up and down, canceling studies every week. Mimsy-pimsy like Brother G.A. Mangan would say, just be consistent. Number 15, be patient. Last week I told you about Ronnie. He's the guy that purchased our home in, in Louisiana. He went through 10 Search for Truth Bible studies with the same guy. Ralph Kimball taught him 10 times. His wife came to church, got in church, got baptized, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and she's praying for him 10 times. That's patience there. I'm not sure I have that much patience to teach the same Bible study 10 times. Um, Brother Cornwell tells a, a funny story about one of his Bible studies. He was teaching this couple, and he taught them, and they didn't get it, and he started over. He said, well, we're going to go back through it again. And they, he went all the way through it about four times, and about halfway through the fifth time, they met him at the door, and they were looking at him like this. And, and he said, we know what you're trying to do. <laughs> He's, he said, what? <laughs> he said, you're trying to get us saved. <laughs> we Catholic, and we, we broke our but We can't be saved. So they were mad at him for trying to do something that in their mind was impossible. <laughs> so, so be patient. What if he'd have quit after that first Bible study? Beware of the three-week rule. That's another Melder, or that's a Larry Clark there. Just if, if you're teaching a study and you miss three straight weeks, I don't care if it's Christmas, New Year's, and, and Thanksgiving. If you miss three straight weeks and you've got a Bible study, then you don't got a Bible study. Okay, so, and I, and I do weekly. I, I teach once a week. So, and, and you can do more. You can do twice a week if they're really hungry or whatever, but no less than once a week. But... And it's okay if you have to skip once every once in a while or even two, but just don't let it go three or you, you'll lose them. And I tell people that I've got another three-week rule. If I can get them there three weeks, the first three lessons, that's the hook is set. You fishermen know what I'm talking about. The women don't. The hook is set. Then they're not, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're staying. Three-week rule. Number seven. Am I doing okay? 745. Um, I wanted to teach a really good lesson tonight, but this is what I come up with. So. Number 17, make the study a part of their lives. You don't want this to be a, a, an outside event. You want this to be who they are and part of them and part of their routine and that they look forward to every week and it's just they become family. Um, you don't want them to feel like that this is a, a an extra burden on their schedule. This is just you want them to this study to become part of their lives while the study is going on. Number eighteen, allow fellowship time after the word. So important. That's where you get to know them. That's where you get to, to to listen to them and see what they're saying and what's happening in their lives and what their uh, fears are and what their concerns are and what's happening. That's a uh, uh, I would say at least 20 to 25 minutes that you need to spend with them after the study's over with, just relaxing and, and talking about the weather or talking about their children or whatever. Um, number 19, do, e uh, do easy studies if needed to get started. Okay, I didn't even know what I was talking about there. Uh, how I got started <laughs> teaching Bible studies uh, it was a. It was kind of a. I got pushed into it. I felt like I was called to teach Bible studies, but I didn't have any money, and a chart cost fifty bucks. And um, so I, Jill was eight months pregnant with Philip, and Larry Clark asked me to go to uh, Memphis with him, and he was going to speak at a church, and so I did. And on the way up there, the Lord gave me a message, and I'd never. I never taught or anything, and he, he told the pastor at the church about the message because I shared it with him, probably bored him to death all the way to Memphis. And uh, so the pastor asked me to teach his young his adult Sunday school class, so I did. And so that night after church, uh, he handed me a check. And I was offended, you know, I almost quit the church. You know, handed me a check. I come up here to ride with my, with my buddy Larry. And uh, so anyway, he, he said, no, you're going to steal my blessing if you, don't, if you don't take this check. Well, it was a $50 check. So I go and I take the check and I endorse the back of it and I take it to our bookstore beside our church and I buy me a chart. And uh, Larry says, I got a study for you. <clears throat> he knew, and he lined up this guy. This guy was suicidal. 
He was an alcoholic, and fortunately, he didn't kill himself before he got to the first study. And uh, so I walk in, and I had my little radio and cassette player and my chart, and I'd never taught one before. This was my first, the first lesson of the first lesson, okay? And we were meeting at the church in Larry's office, a little small office, a little sofa, and I set it all up and everything, and, and, and Rusty looked up at me, and he said, I can see you do this a lot. <laughs> and I said, well, not really, but we're going to do it tonight. And uh, so he set me up. The guy was hungry for God. The guy was suicidal. The guy, you know, and, and it probably took a little bit of trust or faith on his part because he was, he was this guy was, uh, needed God. And he was trusting me who was, uh, had been in church a year uh, and had my new $50 chart and was ready to go. Um, and he was trusting me with that man's soul. And looking back, that's a little scary, but I guess it, it all worked out. He got the Holy Ghost, and he's dead now too. But uh, he, he lived for God for 25 years and died. Um, both spouses are better, or much better than one. If you have a, a somebody you're trying to teach and they absolutely can't get the husband or the wife in the study, then you got to teach without the spouse. But if at all possible, you want both. You want both. Because they're one. They're married to each other. They're one. And they can discuss it with each other. They can grow together. Jill and I got baptized. We got baptized together. In, in, in the baptistry at the same time, Brother Anthony May. Yeah, and we went through the study together. And uh, So you don't want to cause division in the home. So, so two is better than one. And uh, I taught a study to this kid, and uh, he got the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, he started coming to our church on Wednesday night. And I told this, I told this story last week to the Bible study that we're teaching uh, in our home. But it's funny... Uh, but it's true, and uh, sad but true. The um, he, he he didn't think his wife would want to go through a Bible study. He didn't think his wife would want to come to church with him, and so he told her he was going to a business meeting on Wednesday night. So he he would come, and he didn't know anybody. So he, Philip was about eight or nine, and Philip sat on the front row. Well, he knew Philip, so what did he do? He went and sat on the he went and sat with Philip on the front row. Well. A, a few months go by and his wife goes to a Baptist thing where they're clapping their hands and they're raising their hands and everything. She comes home. She said, man, I am so excited. We need to start a church. And, and, and Tony said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, this thing we went to, it was so much better than the church that we go to because it was alive and they were clapping. And, they were... and Tony said, you really? Uh... He said, well, I'll get you a video of the, uh, the POA because they video their services, and I'll see if you like it. And if you like uh, theirs, then maybe you and I will try. Didn't tell her. You know, he'd been baptized there. Didn't tell her he was attending there and, and just knew that she wouldn't hear, hear of it. And so um, he goes, and he's shopping around for a preaching message on a Wednesday night. But He's going to get one that he knows that's not going to be too wild or whatever because it's why he already thinks she hates uh, apostolics, I guess. And so he finds one that he, he was there for. One of the services on Wednesday night where he was physically there, sitting on the front row with Phyllis. And so about halfway, they're watching it together and she's enjoying it. And everything. About halfway, the camera scans around. <laughs> and she says, Tony, that's you on the front row. <laughs> Busted. Busted. We'll blame that one on Philip for sitting on the front row. So two is better than one. She came on, and, and not only her, but her mom, her dad, her brother, uh, baptized them all one night on Saturday night. Um, yeah. So number 21, the letter killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. If you get somebody in a study and you're just sitting there reading the Scripture and this is how it sounds and you're not passionate, excited, the letter's going to kill. So get a little spirit in there. You, you may take a lap if you have to. Loosen up. Just, the, the letter will kill them. So don't choke them to death. Um, 22. Listen to them during the fellowship. Listen to what they're saying. That's important. 
we got seven minutes till eight o'clock. Listen to what they've got on their heart because Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's the way you're going to hear their heart is to listen to what's coming out, out of their mouth. Uh, 23, be led by the Spirit. Uh, Ken and Rona, uh, that happens to be the lady's parents that, uh, that I was just talking about that her, Tony didn't think she would come. But I was teaching the study and we were in the wilderness. We were with the tabernacle and Moses and the rock rolling around and the glory cloud and the pillar of fire and murmured and complained when they got to the Red Sea and they murmured and complained when they didn't have any water and they murmured and complained when they didn't have any food. And so I went through about four of them murmuring and complaining and, he, and, and Ken looks at me and he says, these guys are idiots. <laughs> he said... He said, God just did those ten plagues and just opened that Red Sea. And he said, he said, all they do is murmur and complain. They're not obedient. And I said, you're doing the same thing. I'm going to show you in a few weeks. And I couldn't believe it came out of my mouth. <laughs> I said, that's exactly what... You're looking at a mirror of you, Ken. That, that that you see in them, that's you. And I'm going to show you in just a few weeks. Saturday night, we went through a study. He said, look, we got to go. We've got to get baptized. You know, He saw it. I said, this is what I was talking about back when we were in the wilderness with Moses. And I don't know that I recommend that. Uh, uh, sometimes things come out and you don't think about them. And uh, sometimes too often. Um, but be led by the Spirit of God. He will lead you. It, by the way, it is His will. That, that you reach for the lost and that they learn the Word of God. Um, 24 is use uh, Search for Truth 2. Uh, I'm, it's all I've ever known. So there's an instruction manual that comes with that. And um, if you want to use Exploring God's Word, that's fine. You know, uh, they've got a newer, fancier chart. So when I was, I grow, the first two years we did I grow, I taught Search for Truth for 12 weeks, and I did a hybrid on PowerPoint uh, kind of mixing the two uh, charts, but uh, I just did that for pastor. I didn't really want to. Uh, I like Search for Truth, too. But it, it is kind of old fogey looking a little bit, and my chart is, is you can't get the big charts anymore like mine, so uh, who was that? Somebody wanted to borrow my chart, and I said, it's the only one on the planet. Oh, it was John. <laughs> it was John. Uh, you know, I'm kind of near and dear. That's kind of like Linus in his blanket, you know, like, you know, borrow my chart. Oh, so anyway, it kind of, I had to catch my breath after he asked me that. So. Um, 25, do not wait until you know all the lessons to start teaching the Bible study. That is a sure way to never teach a Bible study. That's 100%. If you came in here to learn how to never teach a Bible study and never get one started, that's the way to do it. Wait till you know everything in the instruction manual, the Search for Truth 2 instruction manual, to start the study. Here's how I did it. And I'm not saying this is the only way you can do it. I took the, I took the manual and I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it. Lesson 1. Not 2, 3, 4 because I'm not teaching Lesson 2. I'm teaching Lesson 1. If they ask me something in lesson two, you know what the answer is probably going to be? That's lesson. That's a future lesson. I might not even know where, where it is in the future. I'm not answering that question because guess why? I probably don't know the answer. Okay? And I go all the way through it. And then she has to listen to me a couple of times. And then I go teach this guy, Rusty, who is suicidal. And then I had found out that because they needed people to work in the baptistry to hand out robes and to wash towels and whatever, fill out the record, I had found out people are easier to teach when they come up out of the baptistry and they don't know anything. So I was, I was lining up a lot, you know, talking about getting some easy studies. At least they had already been in the water. So I, I was teaching another guy, he was a homosexual um, named Robert. And so I had Rusty on Tuesday and Robert on Thursday and I kept the lessons in sync. So, read, 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 teach, 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 teach Rusty, teach, teach Rusty, teach Robert. Now, we went all the way through, search for truth like that, and everything was fine. Next time I taught the study, the, the prep time was almost nothing. It was very, very little, the preparation time. So, why did I tell you that? If, if you wait till you know everything, then you're never going to, don't worry about that. Worry about the lesson. 
okay? And be wise enough to tell them that you're going to deal with those other things when you get to them or at a later point. I really believe that stops a lot of people from teaching Bible studies because they, they say, I don't know. But you can master lesson one. And then the next week, you've got a whole week, you can master lesson two. And that's the way I did it. I'm, I'm kind of a simple guy. I just had to take it one little baby bite at a time. And um, so um, I encourage, uh, there's nothing I enjoy more. Uh, I encourage you to do it. Uh, I encourage you to make it fun. I think as a teacher, you'll learn more than uh, the student that you're teaching. Typically is the way it is. They say if you want to learn something, then teach it. Then you'll, that's how you'll learn it, Avery. So, any questions or thoughts, comments? Something I didn't cover? Supposed to be do's and don'ts. I don't know if I did enough do's or enough don'ts. Yes, Jill? Uh, I would recommend people to um, download it. Doesn't it come where you can put it up on the screen and put it on your TV? PowerPoint. And then just start it in your home once a week. Even if you don't teach the whole lesson, just teach a couple of pages off of it and just get it to where you're teaching it once a week. You know, yeah. if you're really interested in teaching the Bible studies, you're teaching your parents or your brothers or sisters or friends. or And then you can say, hey, we've got a Bible study going on. You want to come? You know, or are you going to stay for the to Bible it. study? And um, I think that would be a good way to do it. Yeah, and, I, and by the way, when you said that, I thought, I don't ever necessarily have to end where the chart ends on lesson one or lesson two. I end when it's time to end, uh, when it's on a positive note, when I can see maybe they're they're ready or whatever. I, so I don't let the chart dictate where I stop. I just have to remember next week I didn't stop at the beginning or at the end of a lesson. You see what I'm saying? So. But always on a high note. Yeah. <clears throat> Good point. Uh, if you if you have never taught and you want to get started teaching, and, you, and like if you lived in our neighborhood, you could make uh, to Brian, who was our new neighbor as of a week ago or less than a week ago, you could make him come down, and then and then after you kind of got a, a time and a time slot and everything, then you somebody else who's not in church, you say, hey, we got study going on, man, you know, and then it's a lot easier for somebody to join something that's that's already kind of got some traction to it. So good point. Anybody else? Yeah, I'll say I got some. Yep. Something I would say too is is when you're when you're giving those Bible studies, you know, and a lot of people think that you know it's it's tough to do it. It's it's something they can't do. They're weak in that area, but actually, you know, you you may be, but God is actually strong in that area. So as you just surrender to Christ and allow Him to use you as that that vessel, God will strengthen you in that area, and you'll be able to be. You know, as he would have you be. He will amaze you. Yeah. God will amaze you. Yeah. Brother Terry, and I don't think necessarily everybody uh, uh, is called to teach home Bible studies. Uh, I thank God that I, that I have been. But uh, Brother Terry Shock used to say, just teach the chart. Read, you know, the chart has a few verses on each page. You know, just read the verses on the chart and flip to the next one and go, you know, it's something. <laughs> it, it's, if you weren't doing your prep like you should. He said, just go off the chart and read the verses that are on the chart. And When, uh, when Philip was uh, four or five, I had him, had him teach. Uh, uh, you know, in the search for true, true chart, there's a page where Cain and Abel, uh, and Cain's got the vegetables and the fruit, and Abel's got the sheep. And, and I had my home Bible study team in the living room. I said, Philip, won't you come in here and show these people how a professional teaches these on Bible studies, and he barely could talk, you know. He, and he came in, and I always remember, I only remember one thing that he taught him. And he didn't teach for three or four minutes, but he said, Abel burned a sheep. <laughs> because on the picture, <laughs> on the chart, it had that sheep up on that altar, and it had that fire consuming that sacrifice, and he told him, Abel, Abel burned a sheep. And, uh, so... Yeah, if a four-year-old can do it, you can do it. But don't do it with a lot of pressure, uh, you know, or, or stressed out or, or condemned. Do it out of joy. I mean, it's fun. I'll come help you out if you get one and want me to get it jump-started for you or something. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because those people need it. 
Uh, do it because it'll make you a better student and a, a better uh, and have better knowledge of the word. Anybody else? It's eight o'clock, eight oh three. I have something really quick. Yes. gave me this profound thought to teach it to my kids, to just for us to sit down, and sure. that's how we would get used to those lesson plans is just simply sit our kids down, and that was huge in removing that intimidation, like, okay, this is doable. Yay. Way to go, Sister Jill. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that. Yeah, thank you for that. You had a built-in, you didn't have to go out and uh, solicit. <laughs> You had to go out and solicit a student. He had students. That's so good. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that we can uh, not be ashamed of you, that we can uh, uh, have the joy of the Lord, that we can reach our neighbors and reach our friends and reach our co-workers. And Lord, we, we know it's not your will that any should perish. I ask you to give us the boldness to do what you called us to do. Open the doors. There's doors that only you can open. Close the doors that need to be closed. Without you, we can do nothing. We acknowledge you tonight. We trust you. We believe you. We know your ways are right. We know you're looking out for us. I pray your blessings, your uh, physical blessings on everyone, their financial blessings on each one here. I pray you bless their fellowship uh, after service, that you would go with them and uh, bless their homes. I claim it in Jesus' name. Amen.